Father, thank you for being the Lord, our God. Thank you for being personal. Thank you for being close to us. Thank you for never being out of our reach. Thank you for the fact that nothing can separate us from your love. There is nothing on heaven, uh, on earth or in heaven that can separate us from your love. I am so thankful for that, God, that you are our God, that you are right there within our grasp. And today, Lord, I, I just know that there is something going on in somebody's life, Lord, where they need a special touch from this word. There is something that somebody is struggling with. They're, they're in this place, and God, you have brought this word specifically for them. You have brought this for their struggle. You have brought this for, for their need. And God, I just pray that right now that their ears and their hearts to be open for that need. God, I know definitively, God, that you have brought this specifically for somebody, and God, today they are here because you have brought them here, and today you will speak to their heart. I pray that they will listen, and I pray that they will respond. I pray that they will know that you love them, and I pray that they will know that you're speaking to them today. So, Lord Jesus, I pray that you speak, and I pray that we listen, and God, I pray that you do a work that we cannot do. I pray that your Holy Spirit does an amazing work, and we just simply stand in awe of who you are and and what your word can do in and through us. Lord Jesus, be glorified now as we look at your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So, this happens from time to time. Here at Simple Church, God changes the message uh, a few hours before the service. I don't really like it when he does that. <laughs> if you could, Lord, give me a heads up, that would be nice. I would appreciate that. I was going to tell some really funny stories and make people laugh, and <sighs> that was not the direction I was supposed to go. So at about 8 a.m. this morning, God changed the direction, um, And I am just going to do my best to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit and tell you what God has laid on my heart. (sighs) We have been dealing with a series about anger, right? And I want to continue in that series. But today it's going to be a little bit different because uh, I I believe here at Simple Church, one of the things that that we do that I don't know that a lot of people do this in a lot of churches. It's unfortunate, but I, I... there's a certain level of candor that we have here, an openness, uh, a willingness that I have to be able to just lay it out there for you and not hold back and just say, look, I'm imperfect in case you didn't know that. There is nothing super duper special about me. God has called me to deliver his word to you. Um, That is a gift that he has given me. I simply do the best I can with that gift he has given me, okay? You have certain gifts God has given you. Uh, It doesn't necessarily make me more special than you. There are some churches where there is this pedestal that people put the pastor up on because he has been given the gift of preaching and leading that, that you know, people want to make him superhuman. They want to make him like Jesus. I am not your Jesus, okay? You don't need to look at me like I'm your Jesus. I am not your Jesus. I tell people all this all the time. They apologize to me for not coming to church. I'm like, I am not Jesus, okay? When you don't come to church, you don't apologize to me. I know you're afraid of how that looks to me. You don't need to be afraid of how it looks to me. You need to be afraid of how that looks to the almighty God of the universe who put the heaven and the stars in the sky. That would be the person I would talk to. I wouldn't talk to me. You really don't need to be concerned about what I think. You need to really be concerned about what he thinks, okay? So 
You don't, please don't put me on a pedestal. That's the reason I do everything that I can to try to make myself little so that he can be made great. So I want to do that today. I want you to understand that I am a man. I am a man that is full of mess ups, screw ups, wrongdoings. I am a complete idiot when it comes to a lot of things, okay? So I want to tell you about one of those struggles that I have had in my life. And I want, to, I want you to be completely honest with yourself and you see if you've had this struggle in your life before too. We've been in this series on anger and I want to ask you a question. Have you ever been angry with God? Have you ever been angry with God? You don't have to respond out loud. You don't have to raise your hand. I just want you to answer in your heart and in your mind, have you ever been angry with God? My guess is that if you're sitting in this room and you're a human being, the answer is probably yes. Am I right? There's been some point in time. Now, there's probably been some pastor in the past or some person that has been super duper spiritual has told you it's never okay to be angry with God, right? So they, they said like, if you're angry with God, there's something wrong with you spiritually, then you, know, you don't need to do that. You don't need to go there. There's something wrong with you if you're angry with God, right? Well, that, I, I'm gonna tell you that uh, you know, when we look at the book of Job, everybody talks about the, the patience of Job. And I, I okay, I understand kind of, sort of what they mean by the patience of Job. Me and my dad were talking about that before the service. Um, you know, we were talking about, you know, people talk about the patience of Job. I was like, well, what makes him super duper patient? The fact that he didn't kill himself? That's awesome. Yeah. And then my dad was like, yeah, I guess he hung on to that little glimmer of hope so much so that he didn't take his wife's advice. You remember what his wife said? Why don't you curse God and die? Like, hey, thanks, my helper. I appreciate you there. You know, like, but he didn't do that. You know, he, he didn't, he didn't take that step. Okay. So I guess because he didn't kill himself, we can say, man, he was a patient man, you know, but to say that, that he, he didn't question God or get angry with God. I don't know that you could say that based on what I read in scripture. I, I think you can see a man who was like, he was crying out to God in a lot of different ways. He's got some idiot friends that come and sit down with him and they try to talk to him and they say some dumb things. He has some terrible theology and all that kind of stuff. And we, we can't really talk about that today because we don't have enough time. But, but like, man, he, he says some stuff and, and we're, we're going we're gonna to read that today. You know, I was talking to some folks the other day. It's like, they said this. They said, they said why don't we just, just read God's word more instead of talking about it so much. So we're going to do more of that today. We're just going to read it today. We're going to let God speak to you. I'm going to say less. We're going to let him say more. But I tell you what, I have struggled with this in my life where I have been angry with God. And I'll tell you when. So my daughter died, okay? 2007, she passed away. June 15, 2007, she passed away from cancer. She had a brain tumor. We struggled with 15, for 15 months battling cancer, chemo, radiation, the whole nine yards, right? Went through seizures, taking her into the, the emergency room every time she ran a fever, all that kind of stuff, okay? And she finally passed away. I'd beg God day after day after day that God would rescue her and save her and that she wouldn't die, okay? She died, okay? I, I don't know any other way to put that. She died. She did, not, she did not survive the cancer. She did survive for all of eternity because she surrendered her heart and life to Jesus Christ. Interestingly enough, um, she surrendered her heart and life two years to the day that she died. I think that's interesting. Uh, just one more kind of God wink, if you will, to say, you know what? She is with me, just in case you were wondering. Two years to the day when she passed away, she had surrendered her heart and life to Jesus Christ. Our, our church secretary called me and said, hey, by the way, I don't know if you know this, but we were putting in her death date into the computer. It turns out she got saved two years to the day that she surrendered her heart and life to Jesus Christ at Vacation Bible School. I said, it doesn't even surprise me. 
Doesn't even surprise me. I know that when she gave her heart and life to Jesus Christ, it was real. And, and, and she did that, by the way, before she ever got sick, in case you were wondering that. It wasn't like she was afraid of death, so therefore she gave her life to Jesus Christ. It was a legitimate, I know who God is. I want him to be my Lord and Savior. She gave her life to him. She died June 15, 2007. And I was depressed. I still get depressed, especially around Thanksgiving and Christmas. I get depressed. I don't know if you ever get depressed. Maybe some of you never do get depressed, but I get depressed sometimes. When you go to put up the Christmas tree, uh, when you have to go and put a Christmas tree on her grave as opposed to you know, her putting up the Christmas tree at home with you, sometimes it, it makes you sad, okay? And that's just reality. I remember distinctly, you know, I wasn't really mad or angry at God, I guess you would say, when she passed away. I understood the sovereignty of God. I understood the hand of God. I understood that every single breath that she had was in the very hand of God, and I understood that completely. And when she passed away, we prayed and we thanked God for her life. And I thanked God for the years that we had with her, and I said, thank you, God, for giving her eight years with us and we celebrate her life and we say thank you and we know that you love her more than we ever did and we just want to thank you for her life, okay? But if I'm really candid with you, there were some times in the next six months, a year, maybe two years after that where I would see something else that occurred to me. I would see um, these idiots with kids, and they would treat their kids poorly, and they would abuse or neglect their kids, and I would be angry with God because I would say, God, why do they get to keep their kids and I don't? I would have laid my life down in a second for mine. I never would neglect my kid or abuse my kid, and they neglect and abuse their kid, and they get to keep theirs, but I don't get to keep mine. Why? Why? And I've been angry with God about that, if I'm completely honest with you. I don't know if you've ever been in a place like that, but I was like, I'm jealous of those people. They get to keep their kid, I don't. I understand mine is with you, I get that, but I would really like to have her here. I would like for her to build the Christmas tree with us, as opposed to putting it up on her grave. I'm a man that's full of faults. And these are some of the conversations I've had with God. These are some of the conversations that have gone on in my heart. And I have to deal with that. I have to. Why do they get to keep their kids? I don't get to keep mine. And there was um, about six. Sorry. It was about six months there after she passed away. It just occurred to me. That I had to get used to saying, Nick's party of three. You would think that's just a small thing until you have to say it out loud at a restaurant. When you have to say Nick's party of three... It will break you 
wide open when you have to say it out loud. And if I'm honest with you, there were times when I was mad at God because I had to say that. I didn't want to have to say it, but I had to. They would say, how many? I'd say, Nick's party of three. I wanted so desperately to say party of four. Nick's party of three. So, as a person, as a Christian, I believe myself to be a Christian. Based on what I read, I I think that I'm a Christian. What am I supposed to do if I'm angry, and even angry with God? What am I supposed to do? Well, I got to thinking about it. So, um... I will tell a really quick funny story. I almost poisoned our band last night. We went to an Italian restaurant. We went to serve at Operation Christmas Child in uh, northeast Georgia. We went to serve at the sorting center, and we wrapped up boxes and you know went through boxes and all this kind of stuff, and it was great. We had a wonderful time, and there was about 11 of us who decided after that, hey, we're going to go eat at an Italian restaurant. So we went to a local Italian restaurant that will remain nameless because of lawsuits and stuff. But anyway, so um, so we went there, and, and we ate, and everything was fine. Everybody was like, see, you love this restaurant, don't you? It's a great restaurant. And I was like, hey, you know, this is one of my favorite restaurants. We go to this place often, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, it's great, Kenny, blah, blah, blah. You're great. You're wonderful. You make all the right decisions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so... So, Kayla comes in this morning, um, and she's got this look on her face, right? So, I know the look, all right? I, I love Kayla. I've known her for a long time. I know the look that Kayla gives me. She didn't have a guitar in hand. She didn't have any music in her hand. She had nothing in her hand, and she didn't park over there where she normally parks. She pulled up right at the front door, and she looks at me, and she's like, Kenny, you almost killed us. I'm like, Okay, what are you talking about? She said, well, the place that we ate at, I was up at 1 o'clock this morning, and I was sick as a dog, and I did not think that I was going to make it here this morning. I was like, okay, I'm sorry. I did not cook the food. I just recommended the place, okay? Turns out that the Carrie, her sister, also had the same dish, also felt the wrath of this local Italian restaurant. So anyway, so me, your pastor... Had I eaten the same dish they would, they had, it was very likely that I may have taken out the service completely today. Fortunately, we, have, we serve a sovereign God who has healed our, the player of our keys and our worship leader. Therefore, we are here today and we're able to worship, so it is good. So, right. Anyway, so Carrie came in today uh, and she was mad at me, okay? <laughs> Kayla, Kayla was afraid I was going to kill her. Carrie was mad at me, all right? So Carrie plays our keys. She's right over here. If you want to talk to her about being mad at me later, you can. But anyway, so Carrie, um, Carrie, she, she won't even really talk to me this morning. She, I don't know that you've really even talked to me at all this morning, by the way. But anyway, she's mad at me because I almost killed her, right? Like she holds that against me. But anyway, um, I got to thinking about like when Cassidy gets mad at me, like am I okay with that? Like, and, and I think that I am. Right? I, I, it doesn't really bother me. I, I, I said, actually, I, I, I think I said this to Carrie. I, she said she was mad at me. I said, that's okay. That's not the first time this has happened, right? Like, 
especially within this building, there's a lot of people that get mad at me. That's not the first time that has happened, right? So I said, it's okay that you're mad at me. That's not the first time it's happened. When Cassie gets mad at me, I'm like, that's okay that you're mad at me. This is not the first time that has happened. It is certainly not going to be the last time that you're mad at me. I got to thinking about that. I wonder if God kind of feels the same way. Like, he's okay that we're mad at him so long as we remember who he is. You know what I mean? Like, it's okay that Carrie's mad at me as long as she still remembers, number one, I'm her friend, number two, I'm her pastor, right? (laughs) It's okay that Cassidy gets mad at me so long as she still remembers who I am. She still remembers that I'm her father, that every single decision that I make is not for any other reason than because I have the best desires in my heart for her, that she is okay, that I am taking care of her, that every decision I make, even though she may be mad at me, it is for her good. I believe that when we get, get kind of mad at God, I believe he's okay with that. But I also believe that we got to remember who he is at the same time. We got to understand that, that, yeah, you can get mad at him, but you got to listen to what he says too at the same time. You got to understand that he is the almighty creator of the universe and say, okay, look, I'm mad, but I get it, okay? I understand that your comprehension of everything that I cannot comprehend is well beyond anything that I can possibly imagine. And I believe that that is the lesson that Job kind of had to learn. I believe that's kind of the place that he had to get to. So we're just gonna listen to Job for just a minute in chapter three as he kind of rants because, you know, you kind of know the story of Job, right? So, like, he's, he's there, and, and he's kind of hanging out. And, 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 like, this is a guy that was, he was a righteous man. He was even so righteous that he even prayed for his kids. Like, they were out partying last night. God, I pray that they did not sin, you know? He was praying for his kids to kind of intervene for them so that if they were doing something wrong, he was trying to cover their sin and say, God, please forgive them if they did something wrong last night while they were off doing their own thing. Like, that's the, kind of the heart of Job. And then Job, he like has all this stuff happen, right? He loses his house. He loses all of his livestock. He loses all of his kids. Like this building collapses. He loses his kids. And like, he, I mean, he's just in bad shape. And then on top of that, he starts to lose his health. He's got boils on his skin. He's just starting to deteriorate. And this, on, you know, to, to make matters worse, his wife looks at him and says, are you still trying to maintain your integrity? I mean, really? Can't you just curse God and die, you know? He's like, well, you know, I could use a little encouragement right now. Maybe that's not the most encouraging word you could have said to me. Uh, Maybe you could have picked something else like, hey, are you okay? But instead she said, curse God and die. So, but anyway, so that's, that's the situation Job's in. He's, He's in a pretty dire situation. And, uh, I was going to put up, uh, the, a little clip from it's a wonderful life. Uh, you know, where it's like, man, I wish I had never been born kind of mentality, and that's exactly where Job is. Uh, it's Christmas time. It's a wonderful life. It'll be coming on TV and all this kind of stuff. But this is really, this mentality is kind of where Job was. And I just want to read it to you. We're just going to kind of go through it. I don't even think it's going to be up on the screen. It might be. I don't know if Colleen's going to get it up there or not. It doesn't matter. I just want you to hear it. In Job chapter 3, after he's going through all this stuff, after he's in this place of anguish, after his wife says, curse God and die, He speaks up, okay? So this is him and the place that he's in. I want you to hear his pain, okay? I want you to hear the place that he's in. And and to, well, well, we'll talk about it in a sec. 
At last, Job spoke, and he cursed the day of his birth. He said, Let the day of my birth be erased, and the night I was conceived. Let the day be turned to darkness. Let it be lost even to God on high, and let no light shine on it. Let the darkness and utter gloom claim that day for its own. Let a black cloud overshadow it. And let the darkness terrify it. Let that night be blotted off the calendar. Never again to be counted among the days of the year. Never again to appear among the months. Let that night be childless. Let it have no joy. Let those who are experts at cursing, whose cursing could rouse the Leviathan, curse that day. Let those who are ex, let, let its morning stars remain dark. Let it hope for light, but in vain. Let, may it never see the morning light. Curse that day for failing to shut my mother's womb, for letting me be born to see all this trouble. You understand that when Job says, he wishes he'd never been born. That is a way of being angry with God. You know who caused Job to be born, right? It was God. When Job says, I wish I was never born, he says, God, I wish you would have done something differently. I wish that day never existed. I wish you would have shut up my mother's womb so that I would not have been born. I wish that light would have never fallen on that day. I wish that you could just erase that one from the calendars. Then he takes it a step further. Not only does he say, I wish that it had never happened at all. Listen to what he says in verse 11. How terrible is this? Why wasn't I born dead? Why didn't I die as I came from the womb? Why was I laid on my mother's lap? Why did she nurse me at her breast? Had I died at birth, I would now be at peace. I would be asleep and at rest. I would rest with the world's kings and prime ministers of those great buildings now lying in ruins. I would rest with princes rich in gold. Those palaces were filled with silver. Why wasn't I buried like a stillborn child, like a baby who never lives to see the light? For in death the wicked cause no trouble, and the weary are at rest. Even captives are at ease in depth, in death, with no guard to curse them. Rich and poor are both there, and the slave is free from his master. When I read that, to me, it, it kind of spoke to me, and, it, and I got to thinking about the rich and poor, the, the, the people that, that struggle, the people that, that do good, the people that don't do good. It seems like they're all at peace because they're all dead, and that's kind of what Job is pointing to. All of them have rest. I'm still alive. I have no rest. Why couldn't you just kill me when I was born? That would be a lot easier than me having to endure all of this. And the question comes to many Christians, it's like, 
just like I said in my life, why, why do those idiots have their kids and yet I, who would have done anything to keep mine alive, why do I not have mine? Why, why do I not have mine that I can take care of, that I can nurture and love and do everything I can to pour out my life on this child? You get frustrated sometimes and you ask God that question. And I was talking to somebody at work about this very question on Monday. And <laughs> it's interesting. Have you ever been talking to somebody and it's like, I don't know if you've had this experience. Maybe it's just me. But, but like you're talking to somebody and it's like they stop talking and God starts talking. Have you ever had that? Like, like, you, like you know it's not them anymore. You know it's like the voice of God talking to you. This, this person was talking to me, and she said this. She said, I've always wondered why it is that, that all these terrible things happen to such good people. All these awful things happen to, happen to people that seem to be so good. You know, like, why do I see, like, tragedy after tragedy after tragedy happen to people that, that seem to be good? And the bad things never really happen to those people that are terrible. And she was, she was saying that, and then she, like, stopped. And then she said something else, and it was like I could hear this transit. She answered her own question in a way, but she said, "The stuff the, this I'll never forget what she said." I mean, it like it just it was like the world. You ever felt like the world stopped and you heard something and like you you can't erase it from your memory? She said this. She said, "The toughest battles for the strongest warriors, right?" And I and I just. I, I just stopped, and I was like, what? I was like, you just said you didn't understand why that happened, and you just said the answer to your question. She said, I guess that is the answer, right? The toughest battles for the strongest warriors. I was like, well, that kind of makes a lot of sense. That's sense that kind of goes beyond human sense. I mean, that's like supernatural kind of sense that just kind of resonates with you. And you go, wow, I don't want that to be true, but it is true. And we won't, man, we won't be, we won't because, because we're trying to do the right thing, we want all the good things to happen to us. I get that. But when it doesn't, we get angry and I get that too. And I know that we want to tell God about that, and I think that it's okay, but I also think that we got to understand who God is and who he created us to be and that he has every single thing in the palm of his hand and he's got every single thing, that every breath that is in our lungs within his control. And we have to acknowledge that. And here Job is in this place of desperation saying, man, I wish I wasn't even born so much so that I wish I had died at birth. I wish I had been stillborn. So I wouldn't have to endure this pain and this suffering. All these other people, man, they got off easy because they're dead. Here, I'm still alive and I'm still suffering. He was a righteous man. The toughest battles for the strongest warriors. He goes on. He doesn't stop there. Oh, why give light to those in misery and life to those who are bitter? They long for death and it won't come. They search for death more eagerly than for hidden treasure. They are filled with joy when they finally die. 
and rejoice when they find the grave? Why is life given to those with no future? Those, those God has surrounded with difficulties. I cannot eat for sighing. My groans pour out like water. What I have always feared has happened to me. What I dreaded has come true. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest. Only trouble comes. Have you ever felt like that? You can't even breathe. You can't even drink water. You can't swallow because of the tightness in your chest. You can't even do a single thing. Every single time you breathe, it sounds like a sigh because you're just squeezing out the air that is in your lungs. There is no rest. It's complete frustration, complete desperation because of the suffering that you're in. And he's crying out to God here. He's making his complaint against God, admittedly, saying, God, I wish I'd never been born. I wish I had died at birth. All these other people, they've got rest, they've got peace. But here I am, I'm suffering, and every single breath that I take is painful. I remember what it was like when it was like when Kenneth had first passed away. She passed away um, in June. And that, that first Christmas, how difficult that was. Some of you know what I'm talking about. That first Christmas without somebody that's really close to you, somebody that you really love desperately, and like they were integral in your life, and like nothing's the same once they're gone, right? You guys know that one of our church partners, Holly Busby, went to uh, went to Chicago to be part of a church plan up there. And there, she's been up there for a little while. And the pastor Brian and Marcy uh, just lost their child at 35 weeks. Okay, and I can tell you that because it's on Facebook and. Brian posted the other day, he was writing, and uh, and I got it, you know, I got where he was coming from, and it was just, he had his journal open, and he was writing, he was writing a letter to God, and he had just written, Dear Lord. And then the only other thing on the page was his tears. His tears had wet the page. He couldn't even verbalize what it is that he felt. But it was like those tears. Those tears said it all. You know? He didn't have to write out the words. He, he didn't have to, to spell it out for God. God knows those tears. He, he captures them in a bottle. That's what Psalm 56 says. He holds them in a bottle. He sees all the hurt, all the pain. He knows every single struggle that you have. He, he knows what's going on in your heart. He, he, he sees every one of them, and, and it speaks volumes to him, and he cares. That's the other. 
just a human being. The fact that he cares. You know, I think about how small and insignificant I am. Like I'm just this speck on the planet, you know. And especially if I go over to a place like Atlanta and I'm looking at this huge mall and I'm looking around and I'm going like, man, I'm just one of a billion people, you know. And sometimes we feel that way in the, on this planet, don't we? We feel like, man, we're just a speck and we don't really matter. I'm just one pastor out of a billion, you know. What difference am I making? All those kinds of questions that you ask yourself. And then you read his word and you go, it says that, the psalmist says that when, when we hurt and when we cry out to him, that he inclines his ear. Can you believe that? That the God of the universe would stop and he leans in to listen I can't wrap my mind around that I don't know why he would I look at my life I look at how broken and awful and terrible I am and I go I don't deserve a word with the king and and yet he inclines his ear to me can't help but to think about the parent-child relationship, you know. When my child is hurting, I will stop whatever I'm doing to listen. I will just, no matter what's going on, if I see tears, the world stops and I am going to listen. And that's the way he is with us. Every single child is important. When you have multiple kids, you know, people ask me, and say, you know, I, I admittedly, when, when we were talking about having a second child, there was this question of how could you divide your love between more than one child, right? Is it one child going to get more, one child going to get less? Is, is there going to be less to go all around, you know? I, I've been asked this question recently, like, how, you know, because you love that first child like crazy, and you think there's no way I could love any other child as much as I love this child. And I answered the question this way to somebody who asked me this recently. I said, you don't, you don't love them less. You love them differently. It's not the same, but it's not less. And I believe that that's the way God spreads his love out for us. It's not any less. There's a billion of us, but it's not any less. It doesn't matter how many more there are. It's not any less. He inclines his ear to all of them that are hurting. I'm just going to read... read a little bit of what God says to Job because Job said that in chapter 3 and then in verse 38 see there's this whole thing about going back and forth Um, his friends come up with some ideas about you know why he's suffering the way that he is and 
Job defends himself, and Job cries out to God, and there's this whole thing, you know, I've been righteous, why is this happening, all this stuff, and God just sits there and waits, you know, just lets Job do his whole thing, he said, whatever he wants to say, and then in verse, thir- in chapter 38, after 35 chapters of being silent, God speaks, and this is what he says, and the Lord answered Job, from the whirlwind who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words brace yourself like a man because I have some questions for you and you must answer them where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth tell me if you know so much who determined its dimensions and stretched out its surveying line what supports its foundation And who laid its cornerstone? As the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Who kept the sea inside its boundaries as it burst from the womb? And as I clothed clothed it with clouds and wrapped it with thick darkness? For I locked it behind barred gates, limiting its shores. I said, this is far, this far and no farther will you come. Here your proud waves must stop. Have you ever commanded the morning to appear or caused the dawn to rise in the east? Have you ever made the daylight spread to the ends of the earth to bring an end to the night's wickedness? As the light approaches, the earth takes shape like clay pressed beneath a seal. It is robed with brilliant colors. The light disturbs the wicked and stops the arm that is raised in violence. Have you ever explored the springs from which the seas come? Have you ever explored their depths? Do you know where the gates of death are located? Have you ever seen the gates of utter gloom? Do you realize the extent of the earth? Tell me about it if you know. God goes on to say these things to Job. Job is kind of put in his place, as you can imagine. At the the end of Job, this is what we read. After the Lord had finished speaking to Job, he said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends, for you have not spoken accurately about me as my servant Job has. So take the seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer on your behalf. I will not treat you as you deserve, for you have, spoken, for you have not spoken accurately about me as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuite, and so far, the Naphtarite did as the Lord commanded, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. When Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes. In fact, the Lord gave him twice as much as before. Then all his brothers and sisters and former friends came and feasted with him in his home, and they consoled him and comforted him because of all of his trials the Lord had brought against him. And each of them brought him a gift of money and a gold ring. 
The Lord blessed, so the Lord blessed Job in the second half of his life, even more than in the beginning, for now he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 teams of oxen, 1,000 female donkeys. He also gave Job seven more sons and three more daughters. He named, them, uh, he named the first daughter Gemina, the second Kesa, the third Karen Hepak, and the, all the land, no women were as lovely as the daughters of Job, and their father put them into his will along with their brothers. Job lived 140 years after that, living to see four generations of his children and grandchildren. Then he died an old man who had lived a long, full life. I believe Job was angry with God because of the misfortune that had happened in his life. I believe that Job was angry at God because he had been righteous. He had done everything that he knew to be right in the eyes of God. He had done everything that he possibly could do to do things the right way, but things hadn't turned out right for him. If you go on to read Job, in the last parts of Job, Job recognizes as God has challenged him, as God shows him exactly who he is, and God challenges him with exactly all that God has created. Job says, you know what? He said, before I had heard of God, but now I have seen God with my own eyes. You see, before it wasn't as personal. Before it was just something that he recognized. Before it was just something that that he was aware of. And now, all of a sudden, as a result of the trials and difficulties that he had endured in his life, all of a sudden, it now became a heart thing for him. So as you look at your life and you look at the things that have gone on in your life, and sometimes even when you get angry at God and you challenge him and say, God, why has this happened? I've done everything I know to be right. Why has this happened to me? I want you to ask yourself this question. Number one. Do you respect who he is? Do you understand your position, your place, and you understand who he is and who you are? And in that position, do you understand that he is doing something greater than what you can possibly comprehend with your feeble human mind? That when you hurt and when you struggle, when you suffer, and when you undergo trials that you cannot understand, that you cannot possibly deal with in your own mind, that God is actually doing something that he's actually strengthening your faith, that he's actually doing a work in your own heart to make you more than you already were. Do you understand that God is taking you to the next level? Do you understand that, that when you get angry, it's okay? It's okay to be angry. So long as that anger brings you to a place of humility before God where you say, God, I recognize who you are and I recognize the fact that you have done this for a purpose. Some people today... And you're hurting bad. You, you're looking at your life and you're looking at the loss and the hurt and the anguish. You say things will never be the same. You're right. They won't. One thing we used to say immediately after Kenneth died is that we would say, it'll never be normal again. But we got to find a new normal. We got to find a different place. I want you to know something. I want you to know something. That the, the things that are going on in your life, that hurt, that pain, that suffering, the thing that drives you to anger, I want you to know that you've got a choice about how you let that control you. 
you got a choice as whether or not you let that anger control you to the point where it, it, it drives you to bitterness or it, it drives you to greatness. Because it can push you towards God if you'll let it. It can push you towards a greater understanding of His grace and His faithfulness and His love and His mercy and all that He has in store for you. If you'll let it. Or you have a choice. You have a choice. You can, you can let it push you away from God. You can let it build up in your heart. And you can say, obviously, God doesn't love me. He doesn't care for me. He never sees my tears. He doesn't know anything about me. He is distant and he is far away. See, you can reject God's love. God gives you that choice. If it wasn't a choice, it wouldn't be love. And today, today God has brought you here for a purpose. A purpose and a plan. That was that you could hear that God loves you. And though you may be angry, you may be bitter, you may have stuff going on in your life that you can't understand, you may have some frustrations in your life and that may be towards God, God's saying, man, I've got a purpose and I've got a plan for this. And if you'll allow me to show you my grace, if you'll allow me to show, show you my love, it'll draw you closer to me than you've ever been before. You, you'll see things like you've never seen before. It'll be things that you've heard about but never seen before. You'll get to see them today. If you'll allow it. That's the question. What will you allow yourself to see? Will you humble yourself before God and allow yourself to see? Or will you close your eyes and be bitter? Will you close your eyes and let that anger consume you? Will you close your eyes and let the, the, the devil get that foothold that he so desperately wants to have in your life? Let's pray. Father, God, I know that there's some hurting people in this place, and I know that they're at the very brink of destruction, some people. God, they're at a pivotal place. They are, they're, they're right on the fence. And they're at a place now where, where it's, it, it's yes or no. God, I've seen so many people at this place. And there are so many people that have been through this time and time again. God, today I pray that you would set them free. God, I pray that they would be recipients of that love that you have that is so abundant for them. They may have been angry with you at the past. God, they may have, have been frustrated with the things in their life. They may have, have, have had bitterness or something that has, has just waged war against you in the past. But today, God, they can be set free from all of that. God, it's your grace is abundantly available for them. God, you can rescue them. But it's our choice. It's our choice. God, I know. I know what it's like to hurt. I've been there. also know what that new normal is like when you rescue us and how good that it is God I pray that you would just reveal yourself to your people that your Holy Spirit would speak and that people might be set free God may they just be open with themselves and honest with themselves right now may we all just stop pretending may we get real with ourselves and real with you right now and may you be glorified in Jesus name